turn now to this evening's scripture lesson, or at least the first one, because I'll be reading a few other scriptures or a couple others, uh, probably during the sermon tonight. But we turn first to Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 23, as we read of the establishment of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper here. And this is the word of the Lord, as he inspired Luke, the beloved physician, the companion of the Apostle Paul, who carefully researched these things, but didn't just write these things by his own fallible uh, human abilities as an historian, a great historian though he was, a good uh, researcher of these things. But this is recorded infallibly by the power and the oversight of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that this is the Word of God and it has been endorsed by the apostles. And so we know that we can trust that we are reading the very Word of the living God as we read tonight Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 23. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. This ends the reading of God's holy word for us uh, for this time, though we'll be referring to some other scriptures uh, in the sermon this evening. But may the Lord bless the reading of his word and its preaching and its hearing tonight. Well, in this evening's reading from Luke, we just read here of Jesus celebrating the Last Supper, uh, instituting the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, 
Uh, And he did this, of course, in the context of Passover. As we've been studying the Old Testament feasts of late, I thought uh, that it would be good to have a couple of supplemental sermons. And so we'll, as we uh, did a wrap-up sermon or have a survey last time, and and now uh, we have uh, the connection here of the Passover uh, to the Lord's Supper. And uh, then next week, Lord willing, I will preach about uh, about the Passover again, or the Lamb of God, in particular, Jesus as the Lamb of God. So, uh, now this Last Supper of Jesus before his crucifixion uh, was also the very last legitimate Passover meal under the Old Covenant, where Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Covenant and put an end to those sacrifices in terms of their efficacy before God uh, the very next day or really on the Jewish calendar, the same day, but the next afternoon. The meaning of Passover is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And we look back to that fulfillment whenever we observe the sacrament of communion, which we'll be doing in a little over a month's time here, Lord willing. Which means we we can't understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper fully, unless we have some understanding of God's intent for the Passover. Deuteronomy 16.1 says, Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Now, as we've noted several times lately, the Jewish ritual calendar is a lunar calendar. Uh, Months count from one new moon to the next. So a month is literally a month. Even our English word month refers to the cycle of the moon. Uh, But we don't follow the cycles of the moon for our calendar any longer. But uh, the ancient Jews literally did. Uh, So the month of Abib would move around relative to our calendar. uh, But it overlaps mid to late March uh, to mid to late April. Some Christians follow a similar lunar calendar Uh, in order to calculate when Easter is supposed to take place, uh, which is why Easter sometimes falls in March, sometimes April. And uh, in the history of the church, there have been several controversies over uh, when Easter ought to be celebrated and how you're to calculate that number, uh, that day that it's to take place. Uh, In the early church, when people began to have an annual celebration, there was a controversy between those uh, who... Uh, wanted it to be on or around the 14th of the month of Abib. And so they were called Quarto Decimanians, which means 14thers. And and, uh, then others who didn't want to calculate it that way. Uh, When the uh, Irish missionaries were laboring in Scotland in the north of what's now England and uh, uh, establishing churches, and there were missionaries coming from Rome to what's now southern England, uh, and these the two groups of Christians actually calculated Easter differently. And that had to be settled for England at something known as the Synod of Whitby. When are we going to celebrate Easter? Of course, we don't compel people to to observe a liturgical calendar, which we understand to be in keeping with Paul's words in Colossians chapter 2, that we're not to let anyone trouble us concerning a, a, a special festival observance. But anyway, the Passover commemorated the tenth and final plague of Egypt. 
the death of the firstborn. When the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, God sent Moses to Pharaoh to declare, let my people go. But in order to display his power and glory, as we know the familiar account, uh, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, so ten plagues fell on Egypt, uh, water turned to blood, there were frogs, there were gnats, there were flies, there was the death of the livestock, uh, and the, the car part of the cattle in the field, there was hail mixed with fire, there were locusts, three days of darkness. And after each of these, of course, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He, he see, began to relent, but then his heart would be hardened, and he would not let Israel go. Until finally God declared death for all of the firstborn of Egypt. When this final plague came upon the land, the Lord commanded that the Israelites were to kill a lamb. And this was because, of course, the Israelites were not themselves sinless, and they, uh, they, they did not deserve to avoid the wrath of God. Uh, but the Lord, in determining to rescue them, gave them a way of escape. And every household was to slaughter a lamb or a kid of the goats and eat it along with unleavened bread and herbs, food that, uh, that was either cooked or gathered in haste. And so there were bitter herbs, and this would be in preparation for a quick escape that night uh, or the next day. When they killed the lamb, they were to take its blood and smear it on the lintel and doorposts of the houses where they were going to eat this supper. Now that was not something continued uh, in later days. The blood would be poured on the altar as this remembrance was taking place in the future. But on that first Passover, the Passover, uh, the blood actually was placed on the doors, the doorpost and the lintel of the houses where the people were celebrating the sacrament. And then God sent the angel of death to kill the firstborn son of every household in Egypt. Even the firstborn of the cattle were killed, which tells us something about the, the curse for sin, right? It's not just us that sin affects. When we fell into sin, it cursed the entire creation. And so Paul tells us in Romans that the creation groans as in travail, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Until we are fully redeemed, the creation itself is also broken. And it will only be healed at the time that we are glorified, God's people are glorified. But this angel of death was commanded to pass over any house with the blood of the lamb spread on its doorpost and lintels. And so, of course, that's the, the origin of the term Passover. Now, while this was going on, the Israelites were told to roast the lamb and to eat all of it leaving none till morning. If there weren't enough people in a particular household to uh, eat a lamb, they were to borrow people from another household. So if you maybe got too many for a lamb or a kid of the goats in one house, and some of them will go to another house where there aren't quite enough people to eat the whole thing, because they were required to eat the whole thing, and that's going to be symbolic of Christ. As we read here in Exodus 12, verses 1 through 13, now, 
The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You'll notice also that the Lord says, I will pass through the land of Egypt. And there are some, a couple of other references in Scripture that uh, make it quite likely that the angel of death was the angel of the Lord. Uh, that would be the second person of the Trinity. And so... The one doing the killing of the firstborn in Egypt is Christ himself in one sense. And so whether it's directly or uh, secondarily through an agent, through a different angel, uh, he's the one responsible for this. So they gathered in a household, maybe 10 to 15 or up to 20 people. Uh, In the case of Jesus, it was 13 with Jesus and the 12 with the Last Supper, with the blood of the Lamb covering the doorpost, not in Jesus' day, but in the original Passover, and the lintel. So the, the door through which they passed, they would pass through the blood, as it were, to enter the house. So the whole household, everyone in it, were symbolically covered by the blood of the Lamb as they went to observe the first Passover. And so God's wrath against Egypt passed over them, and they were preserved in the Lord's mercy. After this, God told Moses that when the people would enter the promised land, they were to keep this Passover commemoration each year on the 14th day of Abib, followed by seven days of eating unleavened bread commemorating the Exodus, which are festivals or observances that we've been studying from Leviticus 23 of late. In Deuteronomy 16, uh, we read this in the first eight verses, Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God, for in the month of Abib the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd 
in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall eat no unleavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, but in the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt. And you shall roast and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses, and in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. That's consistent with the things we learned about the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover in Leviticus 23. So when the Lord would establish this central place of worship, of sacrificial worship, uh, which would be Jerusalem eventually, uh, the people were to gather there for a special Passover sacrifice where that would take place the afternoon of the 13th of the month of Abib, the lambs for Passover would be sacrificed in the temple, and we described this before. Where the, they would be cutting the throats of these lambs, and the, the blood would be gathered in bowls and passed up to the altar and poured on the altar. And the usually two men from every party would take these uh, lambs to the temple, and we read tonight that that was Peter and John in the case of the Last Supper. And then they went to prepare it, and Jesus and the other disciples would meet them at the place where they were to prepare it. Passover would begin at sunset, and once the the lamb was roasted, the supper would be eaten. The following afternoon, in this case was also, in Jesus' case, the day of preparation for the Sabbath of that week, That's following afternoon, which was the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which itself was also a Sabbath, a special uh, double sacrifice would be made in the temple. And it was at that same time in the afternoon that Jesus would yield up his spirit and die on the cross. So Jesus celebrated this Passover meal at which he instituted the Lord's Supper. Uh, The next morning... He would be nailed to a cross. He would die that afternoon after three hours of darkness, which, of course, looks back to the three days of darkness in Egypt. So around 3 p.m., so at the same time that that special Passover sacrifice on the day of Passover was being sacrificed in the temple, the double sacrifice. As the letter to the Hebrews in Colossians chapter 2 tells us the the sacrifices of the Old Testament were actually types and shadows of what Christ was going to do. That is, they were symbolic foretellings and foretastes of God's full revelation in Christ Jesus and what he was going to accomplish. I described before to you that just how bloody a day like the the preparation day for Passover would have been in the temple, and the sacrifices on and on, day after day, were very bloody and horrific. 
And this was to instill in the people the, the understanding of just what sin demands. And Christ was going to pay that for his people. And he did indeed. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5.7 literally calls Jesus our Passover. As the regulations of Passover would foretell about him, Jesus was put to death as a sacrifice for his people. Even the spit on which the lamb was roasted, some have seen as, as a foreshadowing of the cross. But whether we go that far or not, we see that the lamb's bones were not to be broken. We read that this evening. As the Psalms and Isaiah predicted, the breaking of Jesus' bones was the only indignity and pain that he did not receive in his trial and his abuse and his crucifixion. When the Roman soldiers were ordered to break the legs of the crucified men so that they uh, would uh, die more quickly, their deaths would be hastened before the Sabbath began so as not to offend the Jewish leadership, they found that Jesus was already dead. It's a topic for another time, but just remember that he died when he chose to. He laid down his life for his sheep, and no one took his life away from him, as he declared. No one would take his life. He would lay it down for his sheep and take it up again. So he yielded up his spirit, and he did so with a loud cry, which ordinarily someone being crucified can't cry out loudly because of what it does to your body and the inability to take in a full breath when you're hanging like that for hours and hours and hours. His bones were not broken, even as the Passover lamb's bones were not to be broken. As the Passover lamb was fully eaten with nothing left over, and if there was anything left over, it was to be burned with fire. So the whole burnt offering, as it were, after anything, uh, after everything else was eaten, Jesus bore the full wrath of God. Not most of it, not some of it, not 99.999% of what it takes for us to be redeemed, but 100% he bore all of the wrath of God, leaving nothing left over. No surplus, no difference in price for anyone else to pay. And if we put our confidence fully in him, if we are in Christ, and we trust in him alone to have paid that penalty, he is our personal Passover lamb. He is, as Paul says, our Passover. As the blood of the Passover lamb covered the doorposts and lintel on that original Passover night, symbolically therefore covered the entire household, everyone in it, the blood of Jesus covers everyone who enters the kingdom through him and by his blood. As the wrath of God against Egypt passed over those who were covered in that blood then, so will it pass over all who are covered in the blood of Jesus. So on the one hand, we have this exhortation. If you do not know Christ, repent and trust in him. For there is no way to avoid the wrath of God. All of us deserve it. All of our sins deserve to be cast away from the Lord forever and know nothing but his wrath. If we enter through Christ, there is no other way to enter. 
into that kingdom. If we enter through Christ, covered in his blood, then that wrath has passed over us because he bore it. He took it. As the Israelites were rescued out of slavery in Egypt, so are we rescued out of bondage to sin and to death. As Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper as the new sacrament in the place of Passover, a sign and seal of his grace upon us in the new covenant, now looking back to what Passover was looking forward to, we see that it is a remembrance that his body was broken, his blood shed for us to cover us and to redeem us. Every time we celebrate that sacrament, we remember, just as the ancient Israelites were to remember their bondage in Egypt and to know that they were rescued, we're to remember what Christ has done for us and to look forward, just as Passover looked forward to Christ fulfilling it, we look forward to his return and the marriage supper of the Lamb. So put your confidence in Christ. Trust in him alone. And you are in his kingdom and the wrath of God will pass over you. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we do revere your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the true Passover. And we thank you that every time we celebrate communion, that we're celebrating that Passover supper of the new covenant. And every time we rely on Christ, remember him and trust in him, we know that we are assured of your wrath passing over us on Judgment Day. Remind us that when we celebrate the sacrament, we must do it in remembrance of Jesus, that it may point to the cross and the redemption we have in him alone, that it may be a sign and seal of his grace, and help us each day to rely upon that grace by which we have been saved. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.